Our text this evening is uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. In the section of verses uh, 6 through 12. 2 Thessalonians 3 verses 6 through 12. Hear God's word as I read our text for this evening. Now we command you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Thus ends reading of God's holy word. I imagine you've heard of a Sunday Christian There are many professing Christians who are Sunday Christians, and what I mean by that is a person who lives one way on Sunday and another way during the week. Talking about a person whose faith isn't applied to his everyday life, and typically he thinks of his life as divided up into different categories, and these categories are kept separate from one another, and so the religious category, the religious part of his life is kept separate from the other parts of his life, including the work part of his life. If you stop and think about it, other than sleeping, we spend the majority of our time here on earth working. And there is a temptation or a tendency to think that our working is not that important to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we may even think that our work is evil. It's something that belongs just to the secular world. It's at the very least something that is not um, particularly good in God's eyes. I think there are several reasons to explain this way of thinking. These reasons are not legitimate reasons to despise work, but these reasons do explain why some people think of work as something like a necessary evil. And uh, first of all, uh, people tend to think that work is a result of the fall. I think that there are a number of people who have this misunderstanding about work, They think that if sin had not entered the world, we would not have to work. Uh, We would be able to just rest and relax all day long, day and night. Do you view work as a curse? If you do, then it is no surprise if you go to work and you have a bad attitude and you go with a scowl on your face. If work is a curse, you are going to view each day as drudgery. And there are plenty of people who go to work and whose only thought all day long is this. When is this going to end? And they live for the moments when they don't have to work. People of God, work is not a curse. Before the fall, Adam and Eve worked. They worked in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2.15 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And further proof that work is not a curse is the fact that when you are in heaven one day, even there you will work. It's not going to be 
the same thing as what we do here. It's not going to be for a paycheck. It's not going to be in many ways the same as, uh, as, as we have now, but you will be active. I mean, Scripture describes us being with the Lord as, as reigning, as judging, uh, as well as worshiping. Um, at the very least, the common portrayal of heaven where saints are lying around on clouds strumming a harp is not at all a biblical picture, biblical representation of reality. And even while here on earth, Scripture teaches that being a disciple of Jesus Christ means taking on the work of serving others, of evangelizing, of using our gifts for the spread of the gospel. We are created to be active people. Work is not a curse. Of course, our work here on earth has been profoundly affected by the curse of sin. After the fall, God pronounced a curse upon mankind, a curse that does directly affect your work. Uh, the effect of sin explains why your work is often frustrating. Uh, things don't always go as planned. Sometimes our work is in vain. Your work is seldom easy. It's not always enjoyable. Just as God said it would be, you have to eat by the sweat of your brow. And uh, things like weeds and thistles stand in your way uh, to oppose you as you put forth your effort to make a living. But even though affected by sin, work is still not a curse. It, it, it's, it, it's, in itself, it is not evil. Well, what about then the fact that we work for money? Isn't money evil? Doesn't the close connection between work and mammon make our work evil? Um, it seems that some look down on work as though if you work hard, that means you're greedy. But the Bible never says money is evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, it's true we can work for wrong reasons. Uh, much of the work done today is motivated by greed. It's motivated by the desire to have a lot of money so that it can be spent on worldly pleasures. And yet that doesn't make work itself wrong. We simply need to understand the proper role and the place of work in the Christian life. But as I mentioned a moment ago, there are Sunday Christians who think that their religion has nothing to do with their everyday lives, including their work. And so their attitude is, I come to church and I live like a Christian on Sunday, but I do whatever I want during the week. They think that their everyday lives are up to them, whether to work or not to work, or I can work for whatever reason. The thought of some is that it's nobody's business, really, what I do during the week. Nevertheless, Scripture refuses to let us put our lives into these different categories uh, where we can live for Christ only in this or that area. But your entire life is to be affected by your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your everyday living must be affected by your faith, and this includes your work. In both the first and second letters of Paul to the Thessalonians, the topic that takes up most of the space, most of the concern, is the second coming of Christ and getting a right understanding of that. And the, the topic that takes second place is the problem of people who will not work. Uh, clearly, Paul didn't have the attitude that work is not a part of the Christian life. But to the contrary, he confronts those who will not work and commands and encourages them in the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 12, to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Uh, this command comes to you through the scriptures as a part of your calling as a believer in Jesus Christ. 
Scripture is clear. You are to work in order to be able to earn your own living or literally to eat your own bread, depending on the translation that you have. It It may say that you are commanded to do your work in quietness and eat your own bread. Significant that Scripture commands you and me to work, and the idea is that we are to do so in order that we would eat our own bread. Notice that wording, our own bread. This command stands opposed to those who would say that wealth is necessarily wrong. Scripture here and in other places stands opposed to the Marxist, socialist, and communist idea that private property is is wrong. Um, For to have your own bread implies the right to private property. The perspective of Scripture is that you should get money by working, and when you do, that money is yours. Now, it's certainly not yours to do with as you please. You are responsible before God as a steward to use your money in responsible and God-glorifying ways. And yet, for Scripture to speak of people's own bread or making your own living, Scripture here is clearly teaching that private ownership of goods is biblical and proper. It's proper to speak of my possessions or of your possessions, as well as to acknowledge what belongs to others. Uh, this, is, this perspective is clearly implied in the Eighth Commandment of God to not steal. There would be no such thing as stealing if a person could not be said to have something of his own. And in the case of the Thessalonians, Paul is saying, you ought to have your own bread in order to feed yourself. Take care of your own needs. Earn your own bread. Work for the money needed in order to to own what you need to live. And above all, don't expect others to meet your needs for you. Don't eat the bread of others. Eat your own. And the problem was individuals who would not work. And Paul describes them in verse 11 as not willing to work. In the Thessalonian church were lazy people who were content to remain lazy because they could live off of others, right? The only way that a person stays lazy is if they are allowed to continue to live without working. The lack of a proper work ethic was apparently an ongoing problem for some of the believers there in the church in Thessalonica. Paul wrote already in his first epistle to them, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10, second part of that verse, says, But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. From what Paul says about how he has already instructed them, we understand that when he was among them, when he was actually in Thessalonica ministering to them, he already then saw this problem. And face to face, he instructed the members of the church to get to work. But apparently they didn't respond to that instruction with obedience, and so Paul felt the need to repeat the same instruction in his first letter. And this is seen in several verses of 1 Thessalonians. Um, There is an implied admonition to get to work in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. And Paul writes, Therefore, you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. And then also in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, it says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. 
And when we come to 2 Thessalonians, we find that these idle haven't changed. Um, this word idle is from the same root word as we find in our, um, it is from the same wor- root word as we find in our passage. And in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, um, uh, it's found here in three parts, three places, chapter 3, verse 6, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, and also verse 11. And it's translated as idle or idleness. Um, the idle confronted in 1 Thessalonians are still idle as Paul writes his second letter. Evidently, the confrontation in person, the, what, the instruction that he gave them through his first letter were not enough to correct the problem. And so Paul continues here in 2 Thessalonians to speak even more pointedly to these loafers and spongers. Um, it's appropriate for, for several reasons that Paul would describe these offenders using a, a unique word. Um, it's translated, as I've said, as idle, but the word literally means disorderly or irregular. In fact, your translation might even say something to the effect uh, that, that um, uh, uses that, ver- that very word, um, that these people are, are disorderly. Um, this word disorderly refers to those whose conduct is irregular or it's unbecoming. Um, especially one who professes to be a Christian. It, it's, it's a disorderliness that's due to a lack of discipline. And here in the context, it's, it's a failure to work to support oneself. And furthermore, those who were not working were instead, as verse 11 says, being busybodies. Not only were professing Christians refusing to work and therefore sponging off of others, they were ironically being busy, but being busy in, in meddling in other people's affairs. And both kinds of disorderliness need to stop. And it's with this goal in mind that Paul holds up himself and his companions as godly examples in how they conducted themselves when they were in Thessalonica. Notice verses 7 through 9 it says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle or, or we were not disorderly when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So apparently when Paul and his companions first came to Thessalonica, they discussed among themselves the matter of their support. As an apostle with authority, Paul could have insisted that the church support him and his missionary assistants. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9.14, in the same way the Lord has commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So that's the general principle, that's the general guideline for the church. But Paul took into consideration the unique situation that he saw in Thessalonica. He saw people who were not interested in working, but who were selfishly sponging off of others. He thought of people who, without any thought, were being a burden to others. So what would have happened if Paul and his companions had insisted that they be given a salary and or room and board? Would it not have been perceived by the lazy of this church as an endorsement of their sin. 
Paul and his companions chose in this unique situation to be tent-making missionaries in order to be an example of diligence through their discipline and hard work. Paul, Timothy, and Silas had to be very disciplined, you understand, in order to have the time to toil and labor in a trade and to do the work of ministry, of proclaiming the gospel. Paul appropriately speaks of toil and labor, and of toiling and laboring night and day. Their days in Thessalonica were long, tough days. They did not have idle moments. They were sweating it out every waking hour, both at their trade and in preaching. Why is this? Well, because of their love for Christ and his gospel, and because of their love for his church. They wanted to be an example of unselfish devotion to God's people. Notice, Paul had the right to demand compensation for his gospel work, but in this instance, he sets aside those rights for the cause of Christ's church. The interests of others are greater than his natural interest in his own comfort and convenience. I believe that Paul reminds the people of his example partly in order to make them feel guilty. Uh, It's a shame that Paul had to spend himself as he did. It should have been unnecessary. The members of the church that were not working should have looked at Paul and his companions as they toiled and labored night and day, and they each one should have asked, what can I do? What can I do to help alleviate the burden of these brothers who are trying to build the church and having to spend so much time and energy on their trade? They should have immediately begun working, thinking to themselves, if I work, I will at least have something to give to these missionaries, and more missionary work can be done for the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, with no thought for others, no thought for Christ, no thought for the gospel, they idled their time away. At least in terms of spending their time doing something profitable. It's been mentioned already, but what is ironic is that those who won't won't work are often busy, just busy in the wrong things. Paul speaks of these sluggards as busybodies. And the Greek word refers to people who bustle about. There's a lot of activity, but it's useless. They bustle about uselessly. That's what the Greek word refers to. A person who is busy about trifling, needless, useless matters person who is inquisitive about other people's affairs, excessively ready to offer advice or services, especially where unnecessary and unwanted. These are the definitions that are, that are given to us. And even though we're not told the specifics about what these busy Thessalonians were doing, I think you can picture what was happening. These busy bodies were gossips that so often uh, joined to the hip with being a busybody, gossip. They're not minding their own business, but interfering in other people's lives and business. And it's logical to assume that these loafers and spongers were motivated partially uh, by the false notion that Jesus could come at any moment. Why work if the end is right at hand? And that these individuals were called busybodies probably includes reference to how they were going around spreading their wrong beliefs and inciting others to also quit their earthly responsibilities. In several ways, then, they were being busy in the wrong things. That Paul would tell them in verse 12 to work quietly. Notice that, quietly. 
implies that their current lifestyle is not quiet. They're stirring up unrest. They're creating problems in the congregation. The appropriate lifestyle has already been explained by Paul to these people several times. The solution is simple. Obey God's word. But there's a refusal on the part of some to obey God's command. And notice that the instruction that Paul gives here, he makes it very clear. This is not a recommendation. This is not pious, good advice. It's a command that came to this congregation from Christ's apostle. It is Christ's command, and the command is there in verse 10. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And it's important to notice exactly who it is that this command addresses. It addresses those who will not work, those who refuse to work, those who don't want to work. But notice it does not apply to those who are not able to work. That's an important point to notice. Nowhere in Scripture does God condemn those who because of injury or handicap or disease or old age are not able to work. Scripture says that those who are truly in need are to be helped. The problem Paul is addressing are those who can work, but they're not willing to work. They're choosing not to work. And a solution to the problem is to stop feeding them. God says that the person who will not work should not be helped. Don't feed the person who comes to you for help who refuses to work. Don't let the people sponge off of you who refuse to do anything for themselves. This command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat, applies to today. It condemns a large portion of our welfare system. It also condemns the diaconal work of many churches who just indiscriminately hand out meals and clothing. It's one of the aspects of the job of a deacon to find out if a person's need has anything to do with a refusal to work. It's against the command of God to help someone who refuses to work. Well, why is this? Because when we help someone who refuses to work, we are encouraging them in sin. We are encouraging them to live unlike a disciple of Jesus Christ. Verse 12, we are told, Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And notice the wording of Paul, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Paul's not coming to the offenders in Thessalonica in an overly harsh, overly condemning way. He refers to them as brothers in verse 6. And now in verse 12, he, he speaks to them as those who are in Christ, those who are connected to Christ by faith. And what he is saying to his brothers in the Lord is that your relationship with Christ, notice you are in Christ. We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This relationship you have with Christ requires your obedience to this command and encouragement to work. In other words, if you know Christ in a relationship of love and fellowship, you are to obey him. And this includes in this area of, your, of, of making a, a, your own living, this command to earn your own living. So what does working and a relationship with Christ, what do they have to do with each other? Well, when you know Christ as your Savior who died on the cross for your sins, then you know something of how selfless he was. Jesus Christ's life was all about ministering to others. Everything he did was about seeking other people's interests rather than his own. 
His death upon the cross was about him suffering the agonies of hell in order to give us life and joy. And as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, the same spirit of selflessness and love should be evident in every area of your life. Working is a very significant way that you can show your gratitude to Christ and live like one of his disciples. For working is what you are doing so that you are not a burden to others. Working is about meeting responsibilities so that others don't have to meet them for you. In other words, you must work out of love and concern for others, not just out of meeting your own needs. It's about thinking of other people. It's, it's selfish and greedy to expect others to meet your needs when you are fully capable of meeting your own. And then there's actually the Christ-centered motive of working so that you can give, so that you can give to others, to those who are truly in need. Christ wants us to be giving people who can minister to those who need help. And equally important, Christ wants us to work so that we can support the work of spreading the gospel. What a travesty that there in Thessalonica, Paul and his companions could not preach the gospel full time. Again, I'd point you back to that letter to the Philippians where Paul thanks them He says, there in Thessalonica, I didn't receive support, but thank you, Philippians, for helping. So apparently he did get some support, but not from the very church that he served. In the end, your attitude and your perspective about work says a lot about your relationship with Christ. It is not true that your work has nothing to do with your being a Christian. And and let me, you know, describe work here. It's, it's not simply um, getting a paycheck, but all of us have work to do, right? The children here have schoolwork to do, chores to do. Uh, some are, are stay-at-home moms who are very important to the success of the household and the success of that household being independent. But we're all called to work in our own ways, to do things that, that have meaning and value. And it's not biblical to view Christianity as something you do on Sunday That has nothing to do with your everyday work. Your entire life is to be lived for Christ and his glory. And I would ask, does your attitude toward work, does it reflect your love for Christ and his church? As you think of work, is it a matter for complaining? Uh, Is work a drudgery? Or do you see your everyday work as a way to serve Christ? He's called you to work. He's given you work. May we do it to his glory and honor. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, uh, we pray that you would give us the selfless attitude of Christ who was concerned about others and uh, who chose to live his life in a way that was of great benefit to others. Lord, may we not be a burden to others, an unnecessary burden. Father, uh, we we recognize that there is a place for help and for meeting the needs of those who can't meet their own needs. But Father, may we be those who who work hard, who take advantage of the time that you've given us, who use our gifts and abilities well, seeking to uh, be able to meet our own needs so that we aren't a burden, but also so that we can give to others who are truly in need and that we can be a blessing to the church, sending out missionaries. And uh, Father, we pray that we would just see all of our lives as, as an opportunity to glorify you, 
May we not categorize, categorize our lives into areas that have nothing to do with our faith, nothing to do with serving Christ, but recognize that the entirety of our lives are to be served to your glory. And uh, Father, we, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.